You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Announcement for you tonight. Uh, you know, so. Uh, wow. All right, it's gonna be that. It's gonna be that kind of night, huh? Uh, so we, we have been in this journey of trying to, uh, you know, purchase this building in downtown Boise. It's going really well, and uh, we have signed a couple of extensions, so it's all kind of getting pushed back. Uh, we'll have more of a formal update next week, but everything is really positive. So that's not the announcement, but I just wanted to make clear. So we are pursuing purchasing this building, and at the same time, uh, we have actually uh, come into a space that we're going to be moving to on our birthday service next month that we're going to be able to go to one service. <laughs> Okay. So um, it's uh, the Boise Vineyard has opened up. Uh, yeah, yeah. They announced it this morning, and they're excited, and they've opened up their arms to receive Riverhouse. And so, uh, starting November third, uh, it'll be a little different. We have been here uh, three years. On November third, that will be our three-year anniversary of being here, and we will be moving to the Vineyard Boise. One service, five p.m. Uh, we'll have children's ministry, junior high, all of it will be at the 5 o'clock uh, service. And we will be starting a, a 4 o'clock pre-service prayer as well. Um, we need volunteers. <laughs> so everything's kind of going to get changed from volunteer structure. And we need a big team. Um, there's quite an extensive setup and teardown. Um, and that will probably be about a couple hours uh, worth of work before services. So uh, all in all, it's going to save us a lot because preaching three times, leading three worship services is a ton. It taxes us. And so we're really excited. We feel like this is an answer to prayer. But uh, we're going to need volunteers. So we're going to have details that are going to roll out over the next weeks. But for night, tonight, we wanted you to mark your calendars. And uh, if you are willing, we would love for uh, a group of people to be able to come anywhere from 3 to 4 o'clock, help set up. Uh, and we're going to go on our next uh, faith adventure as a family. Amen? Yeah. So we're, uh, we're really excited about that. It will be the first time that Riverhouse as is in the last two and a half years has ever worshipped in one service. So you're probably going to meet some people. You're going to be like, wait, you go to church with me? So it will be kind of fun. Um, other than that, I'm going to have you stand up, and I'm going to read a few uh, passages of Scripture out of Nehemiah. And this is uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 through 13, or through 12. And what do we say at the end? Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Okay. Just getting you warmed up. Um, you're cheating this week. If you miss it, I don't know what that means. So uh, this is uh, Nehemiah 8, 9. It says, Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Word of the Lord. Oh, man, you guys are so good. So good. You know, I love this passage of Scripture for a number of reasons. You know, we get this iconic verse that the joy of the Lord is our strength, which I think we've all who've been around the church for any amount of time have heard or quoted. 
but it's the context that makes it quite fascinating and beautiful because uh, Israel, they're in Jerusalem. Nehemiah has just come. They were exiled. They had built the temple. They had now built the city walls. And they were in a very vulnerable place. They'd been in survival for years. They had lost the law. They didn't even know the law anymore. And, and Ezra and Nehemiah found the law. The law. They spoke it in front of everybody. And the people were convicted because of how broken they were. They recognized their mess. They recognized their sin. They recognized everything that was not holy in their midst. And they begin to weep. But God stops them and says, no, 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 this is a holy day. I want you to rejoice because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the link, you know, we we talk about holiness and purity here often, which I value and I love. But I've become convicted from the Holy Spirit recently that when we think of the word holiness or when we think of becoming more and more sanctified, we associate that to personal holiness and conduct of living, which is true. But I believe that God wants us to link to the same degree that as we become more and more sanctified and holy, we become more and more joyful. Right? So joyful is a fruit of ho- joy is a fruit of holiness to the same measure that purity is a degree is, is the fruit of holiness. Does this make sense? So as we become more and more like God, more and more sanctified into the image of Jesus, we should become more and more joyful. Right? We we in the midst of the process. In the midst of the journey, I love that they are very much in process in this verse in Nehemiah, and yet God's saying, I want you to rejoice. And so I want to talk about joy tonight and the centrality that it should play in the life of the Christian uh, and why I feel like sometimes it does not in my life and the life of our church and the life of our nation, truly. Uh, C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying that joy is the serious business of heaven. Right? And we need to get serious about joy, right? Because joy is not a suggestion. We look at it as a suggestion. Like, be holy, follow God, serve him faithfully, and if you feel like it, maybe have some joy while you're doing it. Right? But joy is not a suggestion. Joy is essential. Joy is our strength, right? So if we don't have joy, we don't have strength. Therefore, we are weak and we're vulnerable, We're actually exposed. We're actually not functioning the way we were created to when we're lacking joy. And God says his kingdom is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Psalm 16. (laughs) That's not a Freudian slip, okay? (laughs) Psalm 16. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be one of those nights. Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get a praise the Lord? Psalm 16 says, in his presence, fullness of joy. <laughs> oh, man, this isn't good. In his presence is fullness of joy. I love athletics. I love sporting events. I go crazy when, you know, like a game winner gets hit. Anybody? You know, some of you are like, I hate sports. I'm sorry. But... I go crazy, you know, and that is just a a fraction of what joy actually is. In God's presence is fullness of joy. As we become more like God, we become more joyful, right? There's actually a reverse trend that takes place in a lot of Christian thought, which is the more mature you get, the more wisdom you have, the more serious you become, right? And, And honestly, if I look at my life, I'm like, you know, I need to be more intentional, 
about cultivating joy and not looking at joy like it's some nice thing or a suggestion. It's an essential reality to the life of a Christian, right? And naturally, by, by default, I am a more melancholy, serious individual. Like, we were just watching some of our old family videos, like, last night with my mom and Jackie, and, like, I don't think I talked in, like, an hour of the footage as, like, a two-year-old. <laughs> it was like, come on, say something. I was like, come on, Jordan, say something. Like, I was just chilling, right? So I'm, like, a pretty chill, melancholy, not super, like, happy. By, you know how some people are just naturally happy? Like AJ? You know, like, everybody laughs because you know it's true. Like, when you think of him, you think different thoughts when you think of me, right? <laughs> like, like, I'm not going to say which thoughts they are, but they're just different thoughts, okay? Uh, that's not me. I'm not Bubbly Jordan. Like, I just want to snuggle with him, you know? Like, AJ, you're like, gosh, you're my best friend. I just met you an hour ago. You know, like me, I don't know. I can be more porcupine when I'm not sanctified. So, anyways, I'm just giving you some context here for my own journey, right? And then Amplify, about 17, I hit a lot of depression, pain, everything in life, and I just, it was five and a half years of just a lot of darkness for me, and in that, there was not a lot of joy. I found peace in God. I, found, I persevered in God, but I had a very serious relationship with God, very serious, and uh, I'm at a, a meeting um, in uh, September of 2013. I was at a church meeting in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, Heidi Baker was ministering, and she uh, was actually preached this really beautiful message on compassion and just loving, stopping for the one. It was very convicting for me, but um, this is the point of the story. I hadn't eaten since like noon, and it was like 10, 30, 11 when this church service ended, and it went like five hours. It started at six. I was starving. I'm really cranky when I'm starving. Anybody that knows me, you can say amen. Like, it's true. I just am like, I need to eat right now. So I'm sitting in church like, I'm ready to be done. I need to go eat. She says amen right at the end of the prayer. And I'm like, yes, I'm out of here. I have my Bible in hand. I was leaving. She's like, you know, I just feel like some people in here, you just need to stay a little longer and just stay, just you and the Holy Spirit. And I felt conviction. And I was like, crap. Like, I am so hungry right now. I don't think I could feel the Holy Spirit if he came in a burning bush. Like, I'm starving. But I was like, okay. So I sat back down, and I had like 15 minutes of just like prayer. And honestly, it was extremely peaceful. And I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, all right, I think I'm good. So I got my Bible, went in the car. My mom and a few others were waiting for me in the car. And we got in the car, start driving away. I'm like, hey, where are we going to get some food? We start typing it into Google. And then somebody like asked me like, hey, how was the church service for you tonight? And I, <laughs> I went to like just speak a normal response. And it was like a bomb went off inside of me and joy erupted. And I still couldn't tell you what happened. But all I could do was laugh for a very, very long time. <laughs> there was nothing funny about the night. There was nothing funny about church. There was, there was nothing funny, but I could not stop laughing. And I laughed and laughed to the point that we got to the restaurant. I couldn't order because I was laughing so hard. They got me food at the drive-thru. I couldn't eat it for another hour because I was laughing so hard. And it was just wave after wave after wave after wave of joy just was releasing out of me. And, and it was I had never experienced anything like that in my life. 
And about a week later, I actually was on a plane to Africa uh, to serve with Iris Ministries. And again, I found myself confronted with joy after joyful after joyful person after joy, encounter, encounter. Just I started, it was like God was just destroying me with joy. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I met one man in particular while I was there. His name's Sipraza Sitholi. Um, many of you have probably never heard of him. Uh, he has one of the most profound testimonies I've ever heard in my life. He has a book called A Voice in the Night, if you want to read it. Uh, like, he got saved by an audible voice of God that sounded like thunder that woke him up. He ran into the woods, got lost in the woods, uh, who said, I had a three days in the jungle, and he finally came out. And a man was standing there who said, I had a dream, and the Lord told me to wait until you came into the clearing. And that man was a Christian, and he preached a broken rendition of John 3.16. Sapresa got saved. He never saw his family again. He's been a preacher. He survived the Civil War of Mozambique. His family members have been martyred for the name of Jesus. But that man carries more joy than any human being I've ever been around in my life. There is a force of joy that explodes from every word he speaks. I couldn't be in his presence without literally actually giggling and laughing because I was so compelled by joy being in this man's presence. And it's not because he was living in the clouds. He's the real deal leader in a, in a very painful part of this, of this world. And that man abounds in joy. And it was like, what? Am I missing? All I could see is I'm in the presence of all this joy is like, I live in a world, in a culture that is drowning in joylessness. We have everything. They have nothing. But they had joy in Jesus that I had never known, never experienced, never touched. Right? So I say this all to say is to set up is that there is more when it comes to joy than what you and I think. Right? I've experienced measures where it's gone from my head to my heart, right? and a lot of that came from in, encounter. I had to actually encounter joy, and I've had a, you know, a number of experiences of what we would call holy laughter. Have we heard of this? Yeah, some of you have heard of this in a good way. Some of you have heard of this in a bad way, right? just depends who told you about it, right? And this is, I just, I honestly want to have a real conversation about this tonight and, and speak to why I think that God does this and what this whole thing around laughter is. And before I do that, I want to go back and talk about tears, right? Because tears is something that even, I grew up in very conservative uh, stream of Christianity that I'm very grateful for. Loved the word of God, loved holiness. And tears is not something that I was unfamiliar with. So emotion in itself was something that I actually was quite fine with, even in a very conservative understanding and upbringing. And people would cry. I have many memories, um, even as a younger boy, where people I would see people crying in church or crying when they were praying. You know what I'm talking about, right? And never in my life have I ever criticized, judged, or been any measure uncomfortable with someone even moved to sobbing in a church service, right? You guys relate with that? When I started experiencing people, I was about 18 or 19 when I heard people laugh for the first time in church, and my first thought was, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Something's wrong with those people. <laughs> totally fine with tears, and I, it took me a while to realize that I was actually kind of hypocritical that laughter which is what we would associate as more of a positive emotion and like what we talk about all in the scripture, I was like, no, nope, that can't be God. That's got to be emotionalism. 
You know, I'd never thought that about tears. And I say this only to say to make the case that if we are open to accepting tears in the life of the church and in the worship of the church and in the encountering of the Spirit of God, we must also be to the same degree open to laughter. Because emotion is just emotion. And even in the psychological world, what they'll tell you is that emotion is just a message. Emotion is a message that something important is taking place inside of someone. And so we cannot accept some emotions and not accept other emotions. We need to have an openness. It's either, you know, you either got to be close to them all or open to them all. Does that make sense? Obviously, anger is not an emotion that we would love to have in church. But I would even say part of why we say, hey, you can ask questions. We can have honest dialogue in Riverhouse is because sometimes we do get frustrated and frustration needs to have a place to be expressed in the life of any healthy community, in the life of any healthy family. So emotions are simply messages, and we need to be open to the joy just like we need to be open to the tears, right? Because it just is a symbol that God is doing something, right? So I'm not trying to promote some sort of emotional experiences. I'm just trying to say there should be an openness to them. Do you, does that make sense? Um, and so... Uh, now, when we move and start talking about, you know, holy laughter, I, I, I want to just give you some perspective that I, I have on it. Um, and you may agree, you may not agree. This is just probably more of my opinion, but this is a prayerful opinion. Right? Holy laughter is good, but abiding joy is better. Right? And revival, by definition, is an indictment against the church. Because for a church to need revival means that the church has fallen asleep or it has died. Right, So for something to be revived means it is dead. So I don't believe God's highest dream for the church is revival. I believe God's highest dream for the church is that we be holy like Jesus is holy and that we become like Christ. Right, So the reason that we need revival is because God's actually trying to correct something that's wrong in the church. So I say this to say that revivals are accompanied with manifestations that often create controversy. And the reason is these manifestations are what God is actually trying to correct through that revival. So if God is releasing holy laughter as an expression, as a manifestation of revival, which is what took place in Toronto in the early 90s and other places across the world and had been highly controversial, but also created a lot of pretty powerful movement across the world, right? He was... What happens is, so he's, holy laughter comes because he's actually trying to awaken a joyless church, right? He's actually trying to correct the joylessness of a church. Does this make sense? Right? So the manifestations are good. The, the, like, holy laughter is a beautiful thing. I, I love when people get filled with joy in a church service and they're laughing. That's so beautiful. Like, Jesus is really good. Like, right, he's worthy of, of joy. He's worthy of joyful expression. Like, in his presence is fullness of joy. Right? But at the same time, if it, that's not the epitome, that's not like God's goal. Hey, my goal is for you guys to just laugh all the time. Like, you know, if we're going to see a, like the kingdom of God come to Boise, the, the, God's means isn't like that we go roll around just, just laughing out of our minds on 8th Street. Like just, ah, ha, 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 ha. You know, it's like people will be like, I'm going to call the cops if you don't stop that really quickly, right? So, like, God, God does things in a church service that he is intending to be translated to the way that we live our lives. And what happens is God moves in these ways. He brings these manifestations like holy laughter that are to be a sign and a wonder. They're supposed to awake people up. It's like, what am I missing about joy, right? 
but he brings those for the sake of actually trying to lead us and guide us into maturity so that he can teach us joys so that those things can be translated in our lives. So I believe God, when he brings joy in a church service or when he heals someone that's been in a dark season and he erupts joy in their heart like he erupted joy in mine, that's amazing. We need to celebrate that. We need to honor the move of God on someone else, even if I'm not having that experience, right? Because joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And then we need to learn how to cultivate that type of joy, this abounding joy full of glory that God gives to us, and then we need to live our lives with an abiding joy that, that shows the world that Jesus Christ lives within us. In his presence is fullness of joy. We're strong because he's filled us. Does that make sense? Right? So, so holy laughter is for the sake of waking up the church to abiding joy. And I believe that when we talk about joy, joy is both received by God, but then it's also cultivated by us. Right, in John 15, Jesus says this, and we, we quote this chapter all the time here. I preach out of it often. Um, John 15, where he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You know what I'm talking about? Right, there's this whole thing on intimacy and learning to abide in Jesus. And the last, the last verse of that paragraph, I've spoken this to you, I've spoken to you. So all of this about abiding, I've spoken this to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Right, so I've spoken these things, learning to abide in me so that I can put my joy in you. And then as you learn to abide and steward it, you can actually grow it into fullness. You can steward it so that it becomes fullness of joy in your life. You following me? So I want to talk about just practically uh, two, two ways that we can steward joy. And that we can, and we can see it grow into fullness in our lives because this is this has big implications, right? The world is dying for joy. The world will actually pay a lot of money for a happy experience for an hour or two. I've been to it, like Jim Gaffigan. Anybody been there? You just cackle your head off, and then you're empty afterwards because there's nothing joy. It's just a relief of happiness, which is built on circumstantial truth, funny truths, right? That can be entertaining. Right? But joy in Jesus is actually rooted in a higher reality. It actually comes from a God who abounds in joyfulness, that lives inside of us, that his presence, he says, I'm Emmanuel, God with you. I'll never leave you, and my presence abounds with joy. It's full. Right? So uh, this, is, this is important. Right? And the first thing is rejoicing. We have to learn how to rejoice. Right? Nehemiah, I love this passage because it's so in the midst of the process. Right? Oftentimes we're like, man, I need to wait till the end of the story, then I'll have joy. Right? And that's the American dream. And it doesn't really ever make you joyful, but it's like, hey, do this and this and this and this and this and this, and then one day you'll arrive. You never arrive. If you're chasing a carrot on a string called joy, you're never going to find it. Because God doesn't work chasing a carrot on a string. God's not like, hey, follow me, and then one day... One more day, sometime in the future, when you're in heaven one day, then you'll be happy. That's not God. That is not God. That is a broken worldview. That is, that's, the, that's the system of the world. It's always promising. That's what sin does. It always promises you joy, but it steals it from you. Right? God has joy for you today, but we have to learn to access it through rejoicing. And Nehemiah, I love the passage because God's like, hey... You guys are like so broken. 
but I want you to stop and not work on that for a while. I want you to be happy and I want you to rejoice and I want you to have a seven day party and I want you to actually learn to strengthen yourself through joy in the midst of the process. In Isaiah 54, it says, rejoice, O barren one. Rejoice because you'll have more children than the married woman. Enlarge your tents, make your house bigger, prepare more rooms for your children in your barrenness. That's what God says. Rejoicing takes place in the midst of the process. We can't wait till the end of the process to have joy because we need strength to get to the end of the process. And God knows that. And so he sees his people in Jerusalem. He knows they're weak. He knows they've been surviving. He knows they're vulnerable. He knows that they're in the midst of transformation. And God's like, hey, I want you to stop and I want you to rejoice. I want you to, 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 to rejoice in me. I want you to have joy. Right? God rejoices over us, and so he's always wanting us to rejoice over him. Right? And Jesus is Lord. Right? We've been talking about that a lot lately. Jesus is Lord, which means you do what he calls you to do, but Jesus is also lover. Right? He's also encourager, cheerleader. He's our champion. He fights for us. You know, it's like when parents are helping their kids walk. You know, it's like, like well, I was, you know, it's fresh in my mind because we were watching it last night. My mom's, Jordy. Jordy, oh Jordy, Jordy. I'm just not saying a dang thing, but it's like, you know, you take half a step. Jordy, Jordy, you took half a step. Jordy, you're so good, Jordy, Jordy. You can do no wrong, Jordy. You're amazing. Oh, Jordy, you're, Neil Armstrong's got nothing on that step. Your step was better. That was a giant leap, Jordy. Just, just keep doing it. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? It's like babies are like, it's like, and it's like, oh my gosh, you took half a step more than last time. You know, and it's like every time they try, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, there was like a video of my dad was laying on his back with a golf ball in his mouth. I don't know why. And it was like, hit it, Jordy. And I'm like, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, it's so cute. It's like parents freak out over their kids, right? And we forget that God is father, right? And, and, and if parents are like, going berserk over their little kids learning how to walk, God is doing the same over you and I as we're learning to walk in the spirit, as we're learning to walk by faith, as we're learning to grow up into the things pertaining to salvation. God is our champion. God is our cheerleader. Jesus is rejoicing over us. He's cheering on us, you know, and it's like in Nehemiah passage, it literally says, stop and have a seven-day feast because now you understand the words of the law. The church is going to be like thousands of years before they actually fulfill those words. <laughs> but you understand it. So we're going to have a party. Good job. Good job, Jerusalem. You know, it's like God's like cheering for us. And we, can, we forget that sometimes. That there is joy every single midst of the journey. God is celebrating every little bit of progress in our lives. He's not a taskmaster waiting until we get it all perfect and then you can have my joy. He has joy for us today. He has joy for you today. He has joy for you tomorrow. He has joy for you. And some of you, you bound, you, you hear that condemnation. You know, in the midst of your barrenness, you can rejoice because he's rejoicing over you. In the midst of the addiction that you can't break and you keep falling to the same place, rejoice. 
rejoice in your barrenness because God is rejoicing over you. Just the desire to be holy is enough for him. He says, I see your desire and I am for you. I am championing you. I have you and I'm not gonna let you go. You know, little kids, they don't get afraid that they're never gonna walk. Oh, I've fallen a thousand times. Dang it, I'm never, these legs are not made for walking. These things are never gonna work. They're just these wobbly little balls of fat. They can't even work. I can't even, I can't even hold myself. I'm, I'm in getting their direction from. No, they don't. Because they're all they're hearing and getting their direction from is their parents' encouragement. They're rejoicing over the failure. And it is that strength that a child never doubts if they're gonna walk or not because they're not looking to themselves and their own weakness. They're finding faith as they're rejoicing and they're receiving the rejoicing of their parents. God is rejoicing over you. He is rejoicing over you, Zephaniah says, with loud shouts. He is just, he is your cheerleader. He believes in you. He is fighting for you. And so if you're in weakness, if you're in the midst of your brokenness, you say, I got so much stuff going on that's so, I need healing and I need all this. God's like, hey, I know, but I'm cheering for you. Listen to me. Don't look to your own frailty and your own weakness. Look to me. Just look to me. He's going to give you joy. Joy is an experience, but it's also a choice. Rejoicing can be a very amazing experience. You can experience joy as you're rejoicing, but it's also a choice. And I've found for me it's often a journey from the choice to the experience. Because when you're barren, you do not feel happy. You don't feel like rejoicing. But you rejoice in faith of who he is and what he's saying. And part of growing in faith and growing in maturity is I, I, I'm not going to walk by what I see or what I feel. I'm going to walk and I'm going I'm to respond to who I believe that you are. And so you rejoice in your barrenness and you praise him for who he is and for what he's doing and for what he's told you. And you, and you learn to rejoice. Does that make sense? So we rejoice in him and then we delight ourselves in him. Psalm 37 is a famous verse. says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You familiar with it? This is the thing that I found. When you don't know what delights you or what brings you delight, you will never know how to delight yourself in God. Right? We can't delight ourselves in God if we don't know what brings us pleasure. Right? And the world does not own pleasure. The world does not own that word. The world perverted that word. The world has tried to claim that word. God is who created pleasure. God is the one that knows how to satisfy human beings, not the world. Right? So pleasure is a topic that should be spoken of in the church because God designed us to experience the pleasure of communion with him. That is what joy is. Joy is pleasure. Joy feels good. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? There's, there's also pain in this life. Right, and, and we've t we talk about that here, right? There's suffering love. To love a dying world means that there's gonna be pain, right? We're promised persecution. So I'm not here saying it's gonna feel good all the time, right? But the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so if we're gonna love a dying world and become exposed and vulnerable to a broken planet that will affect us and will cause us pain and will bring us burdens and will break our hearts and we will see things that, that just break us and hurt us in our own lives and our own relationships and the people that we love and in, in the in the things that we witness you know in the nations that we go to we're going to see so much pain 
but God has chosen to strengthen us and he's designed it. Yes, life will be hard and it will bring many troubles, but I will bring you joy and I will bring pleasure to your soul and I will strengthen and satisfy you because I formed you for myself and I know how to satisfy the desires of your heart. Right, but I wanna link delight yourself in the Lord to the faithfulness of observing Sabbath. Because Sabbath is not, was not created as a regimen. It was created to be a gift and a delight. It was actually a space where God created for man to learn to delight themselves. Right? Like hobbies. Things that spiritualize this sometimes. Things that you, like, like that's what Sabbath is. You know, we over-spiritualize this sometimes. We have to delight ourselves. We have to know, what do you love? Do you love walking and hiking on the hills and bird watching? Like that's where you're, something awakens when you delight yourself. There's actually a replenishing and a refilling that takes place in a human soul as you delight yourself, as you engage in things that you like to do. And in Genesis 1, God worked. He created the world as we know it. It was this masterpiece. Look at it. And then he stepped away. He said, it's all so good. And he rested. And, and, and what we're really, what's implied is that he was enjoying. He was like, oh, just looking at everything he created. He was delighting himself in, in the work of his hands. Right? And God has invited us, Hebrews 4 says, to join him in that rest. To join him in that place of delight where it's like, man, I love to play sports. I love to do these things. You know, there's certain, you know, I love coffee. I love whatever it is, skiing. I love, like there's things you love. And there's a part of you that comes alive when you do those things you love. And Sabbath is, hey, weekly, you should be delighting yourself. You should be taking pleasure in the life that you've been given. You should enjoy it. You know, because as you enjoy life, you're enjoying God because he's the one that's giving you your life. And I've found that if you do not delight yourself and, you're, and you, you actually are you're overworking, uh, you'll begin to try to take the desires of your heart for yourself instead of receive them as gifts. And you actually miss out on the joy that was intended to come with them. You know, and this is, I shared this last service spontaneously, so now I'm doing it consciously. But, you know, uh, recently I've, I've honestly... Um, it's, it's been a, a journey with the church and the pastor of learning healthy boundaries and how to exert myself well and rest. And um, I've been uh, kind of convicted recently that I've been overworking. And I, I've just noticed a few things, but there was just an example that I just want to be really practical with you is, you know, like, I, I love golf and I love sport and I love activity. And um, I probably you know, don't do it as much as I should. Honestly, if I'm just being real with you and I have all these serious reasons why. Um, you can just laugh at that, you know, serious reasons why I can't follow. If God can chill out on a day, so can I, you know, and it's not, I, I do guard, I do guard my days of rest, but like this just being real with you is I can get too serious about those. Well, I need to pray. I need to make sure I'm reading my Bible. I need to make sure I'm doing my disciplines. I need to make sure. So it's like, even though I'm not doing church work, does that make sense? It's like, I can be too serious. I can take myself too serious. I can take God too serious, right? And I know that sounds strange because we're like, oh, this is the gospel. People are dying. It's true. But somehow God's still like really chill 
you know, and he wants us to delight ourselves. But anyways, uh, opportunity came uh, where there's a country club down the street, and I really wanted to join a country club so I could play as much golf as I want, you know. And uh, it was, like, kind of discounted, but it was still, like, way the heck too much money for me to, like, consciously pay at this point in my life. And uh, But because I haven't been delighting myself, honestly, I had this desire, like, I want that. I want that a lot. And I knew, I think I knew the whole time that it was premature and that I'd be taking it for myself outside of the proper season, you know, when there's just not grace on something. I could have done it, and I was like, oh, I went, and I was playing, I was like, yo, this could work, this will work. I could play 30 times a month, that will justify it. Then I could pay for it, then it'll, be, it'll make me happy. It will make me happy. I just, I'm working so hard, it will make me happy. You know, I had all these justifications. Then I was at dinner one night with Jackie, and I was like, what do you think, come on. She's like, I think you're stupid, that's way too much money. <laughs> and I was like, crap, dang it, you're right. And I knew it. Like, I knew it. But there, I was like, why was there that desire in me to take something premature? And it was because I haven't been delighting myself in God. So because of that, there's something that's actually birthed in that moment because you find as you delight yourself in God and you do things that delight yourself, there's a part of the relationship with Jesus that it's not Jesus as Lord, it's Jesus as lover. And you recognize that his delight in you is more intense than your delight in him or for anything. And you can be like David in that place that says, there's nothing on earth that I desire more than you. But when you're not actually engaging in that place, you become weak because you're lacking joy and you start having desires that you feel that will not be fulfilled by God. You have to take them for yourself. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just trying to be honest and real with you. Like, we're weak when we don't have joy. We make stupid decisions when we don't have joy because we need joy so desperately. And so we'll do anything to find it, even if it's not the smartest thing. Well... You know, I actually just want to create space for joy. Uh, and and I, I just want to just give you permission, I guess, to ask for joy. And not to, I actually, you know, if holy laughter comes, like some people started laughing last service. And, I mean, just to be honest, like when you're up here on the stage and people start laughing, you're like, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? You know, it's like, I don't know wherever you all come from different places, different background. We have no desire to be weird here. I guess I just want to make that explicit. But I have a desire for God to be himself here. I want God to be really comfortable. And sometimes God is way different than me. And I want you to have joy. And so if God wants holy laughter, I would love for that to happen for his sake. For my sake, I'm like, well, it'll make me uncomfortable. But it's okay. Like if holy laughter comes, praise Jesus. But I want abiding joy to awaken in our church. And I believe that there's more joy that God wants to bring to Riverhouse Church because there's more joy that God wants to bring to Boise, Idaho. And guys, we're living in a city that there's depression and there's suicide that's happening all the time. And we're actually coming into the season that it takes place. And you know why? Because the circumstances change. It gets darker, the skies get grayer, and people go into seasonal depression, and teenagers are taking their lives, and there's all these things taking place. And I believe the answer is actually a, joy, a church that's full of joy. When the church gets full of joy, the world will want what the church has because this is a way that God's trying to bring breakthrough to our city. And so I pray that God comes and brings breakthroughs now that will bring breakthrough for our city. This isn't to try to hype up anything. We're not even going to put music on. But I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, and we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'll just ask you to just gonna ask for joy. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.